Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The opinions, language, and discussion expressed in Disability After Dark may be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Do you want to keep the conversation lit around sex and disability? Want to spark a conversation about something you heard on the show? Feel like shining some light on an issue that I haven't even thought of? You can do all that and get the inside scoop on what happens in my brain after dark by following me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza, that's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A, and be sure to use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark all over your social media so we can shine light on sex and disability together. Hey guys, thanks for listening. I'm excited that you clicked on episode 13 of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. This episode is one of my most favorite ones. I love this episode so much because it talks about something we never really talk about in the disabled community because we've been taught in the disability community that talking about this and these types of people are bad. They're scary, they're weird, they're strange, and we shouldn't talk about them. And I... I got to speak to somebody today who is part of that community, and I'm, let me share with you what it's all about, what I'm talking about right now. I talked to a friend of mine that I've been talking to for about a year. They've been following my work, and we've just become friends, and we've been talking a little bit here and there about what I do, and they love the work I do, and they, wanna, they wanted to talk to me about stuff, and then they told me that they were, were married to somebody with a disability, and I thought, oh, that's cool, we can talk, we can have you on the show and talk about your marriage and talk about how all the things you deal with in terms of dealing, you know, being married to somebody with a disability and how people see you as his caregiver. And I was building a show around that. And we were, we were ready to tape recently. And then they came out to me and kind of dropped a little bit of a bombshell on me that I wasn't quite ready for. They told me that they were a devotee. Now, if you don't know what a devotee is, a devotee is somebody who is sexually and physically attracted to people living with disabilities. They are turned on by disability, and they it's something that they're attracted to. It's a part of, a part of their sexuality that they're very, very in tune with. And in the disability community, we've been taught that people with devotees are creepy, lecherous, dangerous people who will abuse you and neglect you and make you more disabled and they only care about you because you're, you're disabled. And there's a whole linkage between fetishization of disability. I can't say that word. Fetishization of disability and devoteeism. And there's a whole... Basically, when I was a young whippersnapper of a sexual being and I learned about devoteeism... The response I got from the disabled community was, you know, stranger danger, don't approach them because they'll, they'll abuse you. So to hear somebody tell me they're a devotee, come out to me like that, and want to talk about it, I had to, I had to talk to her. I was so excited when she told me that. I was like, that's amazing. She told me that she even had met her partner on a devotee website. So what it says is that there are individuals with disabilities who are excited by the prospect of having somebody who is attracted to disability in their lives. 
And I just thought it was a really cool, the way that, that Stacy talks about it, and you'll hear in the interview, the way she talks about it, she really disarms me from that stranger danger idea of devoteeism and really made me look at it in a whole different light. Our interview is fun. It's We laugh about it. We talk about sexuality and disability from a whole different lens. And I also think it's important because we don't often hear from the partners of people with disabilities who are engaging in this kind of stuff and who are trying to be a partner to somebody with disabilities and all the stuff that they go through, all the internalized shame and ableism and fear and resentment and all these things, all these emotional stuff that they go through, I wanted to tap into that and I wanted to give that a voice. So this is a fantastic interview. I'm excited to share it with you. Let's get to it right now. Here's my interview with Stacy right here on Disability After Dark. Stacy, thanks so much for coming on Disability After Dark. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so we you and I have been talking now for almost a year and we've wanted to be we've wanted to work with each other for so long. And now we're finally doing something that actually puts us in the same vicinity and we will be immortalized forever in this podcast. Um, I'm so excited by this. Yay! Uh, yay! Um so I kind of alluded to the audience about what we're going to be talking about today. So why don't we just jump right in and talk about that? Because I think it's something we don't really talk about in the disability community unless we're talking about it in a really unpleasant light. So I kind of want to, I kind of want you to shed some happy light on that, on the, <laughs> on the issue of devoteeism. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Um, I'd say by and large, the only press that devotees get out there, especially in the internet world, well, everywhere, what are we kidding, um, is negative press. Um, it's quite disturbing. Um, as someone who has this attraction and never, well, let me back up. Okay, so when I was very, very young, um, and I would say I was probably about four or five when I first realized there was something different about me. Um, I was in my at my grandmother's house. There was a documentary on, and there were it was basically following maybe like four or five kids with disabilities of various ages through school and the kind of adaptive equipment they use. Like I have no idea what fucking documentary this was, but my ass was glued to that TV in a way that was bizarre even to me because as a kid, you know, there's things that you like, like certain cartoons or whatever. But I was glued to this TV, right. and. Um, and I just was so interested. It wasn't a sexual thing, obviously. I was only like a four or five-year-old. Um, so I was just really hypersensitive to this. I remember thinking like, wow, this is really interesting. Um, and my grandmother walks in and she was like, oh, those poor kids. And immediately I felt nothing but guilt. I was like, oh no, there's something wrong. I shouldn't like this. This shouldn't be interesting. I should be pitting people who have disabilities. And I certainly shouldn't be enjoying watching this. Um, so it was an immediate feeling of guilt. Um, and I never really talked about it. I just remember having a hypersensitivity to it from a very, very young age. Um, you know, whether it was a kid in school who had a cast on his arm or, you know, somebody who had a, a speech impediment or walked with a limp, like I immediately would zero in on this person and just feel completely fascinated. It wasn't until my teen years that it started to become more sexual, obviously, because you become a sexual being. Yeah. Um, as you hit puberty. And at that point, then, you know, you feel even more guilty because you're like, okay, this is not something 
that people feel sexually attracted to in any respect. Um, everybody who talks about people with disabilities is always out of pity or, you know, what have you. So, or you're brave um, or you're, you're a hero or you're going to overcome this, right. blah, blah, blah. And so right. I can imagine for you admitting that you, you know, admitting to yourself that you're like, I'm, I'm also not only, not only am I fascinated by people with disabilities because, and, and by the way, Everybody should be fascinated by us because we're awesome. <laughs> so Correct. fascinated away. But I mean, I think admitting to yourself probably, and I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, that you were also sexually attracted and was like, whoa, what do I do now? Like, how, how the fuck do I do this? Right, right, exactly. And feeling just like there must be something wrong with me. There's got to be something wrong with me because this isn't normal, you know, quote unquote normal. Um, and you know, I remember in college, for example, there was this boy who actually had CP, he had hemiplegia. So he was, um, he had weakness on one side of his body. And I remember he would, we would share the dining hall once a week cause he was in the dorms across the way. And, you know, I was in these dorms and then, you know, every Saturday we'd share or every weekend we'd share the same dining hall. And I would spy on this kid and just be like, oh, I just want to talk to him. I just want to talk to him and say, hi. And I remember one day I got my chance. We were in line getting food and he was right behind me. And I made some pithy little comment like, mm, nice weather we're having or something bullshit like that. And I immediately <laughs> just like, I was like, oh, this is horrible. And I, I never talked to him again. <laughs> I ruined my opportunity. Um, and he was probably just like, uh, yeah, okay. And that was about it. Um, so that was, yeah, that was my one chance and I blew it. No, um, so yeah, it was it was it was something that made me incredibly embarrassed and overwhelmed. Like I would be around this guy and I would just fall over myself. Like I could not even I couldn't even bring myself to look at him without feeling like I was just blushing all over. So it was it was a very strong feeling. I mean, I just felt like an idiot every time I was around somebody with a disability I felt attracted to. And by the way, I should add, it's not like everybody with a disability. I was like, oh wow, I want to just have sex with this yeah, person. Yeah, that was my next question. Like, oh, do you see like you see criminals on the street? Like, I want to bone you because you're yeah. in the walker. I want to bone you because you have a cat. I want to bone you because you're in a chair. Like, right? You... No, and to be honest with you, and this is something very common in the in the devotee community. You kind of have your, you know, certain disabilities that you're most attracted to, and not, um, and and ones that we really don't do anything for you. I mean, for example, a lot of people will ask like. Oh, so does that mean you are attracted to people with intellectual disabilities or cognitive disabilities? And that starts to ride a very kind of scary line, right? Because then you're yeah. talking about consent. You're talking about, you know, is somebody able to say yes? Um, and I've never been attracted to anybody with that particular type of disability. And I don't know anybody in the community who is, though I'm sure it probably exists somewhere, um, that attraction. But um, for me personally, you know, I had my favorites, uh, you know, I, I, you're probably gonna laugh, but CP was just like at the top of my list. Yeah! Um, yay! It's the best. Um, and then, um, <laughs> and then also um, deafness, like I had uh, any any disability for me that affected speech was incredibly attractive. Um, uh, and moved. I'm, I'm curious, you're, you're telling me that the disability is attractive. And this is where I think people with disabilities who, who want to call you out and be like, oh my God, you're a devotee, that's gross. I think why they're, and I, I don't think it is, I'm just, I'm just parodying what yeah. they would say. Right, right. Um, but I, I think that why, that why there's confusion and why there's like, why there's like fear of devotees is because the question is like, are you attracted to my CP or are you attracted to me because... Oh, I, that's a great question. 
that's a great question. And it's probably the most common thing that you're going to get. Like, um, the reason I found out that there was a name for this, by the way, is because I found a website for women who are devotees of disabled men and gay men who are devotees of, of gay disabled men. Um, and, uh, I, I was like, Oh my God, there's a name for this. Like I'm not alone. I literally thought my entire life that there was, I was just this weird person that had this attraction and there's not a single person out there in the world that has it. And the, in the, in the age of the internet and in, in all of my naivety, I didn't know that there could possibly be an attraction like this that other people had. But anyway, when I found that out, of course I joined this website and, you know, I'm talking to this community of people. And of course, men who joined the website are asked that question right away. Well, so what is it? Are you just you know, I don't want somebody who's just going to fetishize or objectify me because I have a disability. And you can say what you will about objectification being common amongst all attractions, whether it's boobs or blonde hair or being tall or whatever. Or big dicks or but red hair like, in my case. Right. Anybody, with, right. anybody with red hair and a giant penis, my number is this. <laughs> Please come to me in Toronto, Canada. I will do things to you with my mouth. Um, <laughs> No, but seriously, I mean, it's just like those things in that it's a door opener. It's like that turns your head. It's not what keeps you in a relationship. It's not what makes you continue to talk somebody or be interested, talk to somebody or be interested. It's really just, um, you know, the foot in the door. It's what it what's it, it's what opens the door to um, starting whatever relationship you're going to have yeah. with that person. Maybe it's a conversation. Um, maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's sex, maybe it's a real relationship. Um, so for me, it was always just like, Oh, wow. You know, it turns my head. Oh my gosh, there's this really hot guy and I really want to talk to him. And then you go talk to him and maybe he's a total dud and you have nothing in common. I mean, it's just like anything else. So you're like, eh, maybe not, you know? Yeah. But I think it's so important that you make the distinction because right. people, when you say I'm a devotee, what we're taught to think as disabled people, like, Stranger Danger is like, you're just some lecherous person that's like, right. I'm after your chair, your chair turns me on. And I've, to be honest, I was with somebody once many, many years ago back in my college days who actually was physically attracted to not me, to my wheelchair. So he was totally into my chair, was doing things to my chair with me in it. And I was like, um, I'm over here. Are we going <laughs> to, because so... Um, I think when people think devotee, they immediately assume that it isn't the person you're attracted to. And it's important that you say that the disability is just a door opener to to something deeper. And I think I think that's why when you frame it that way, it makes the idea of devoteeism less like terrifying. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm, I'll be honest with you, too. There are lots of devotees out there, the ones who get all the bad press, the ones who do horrible things. They're the, they're those exact people who you experienced that have, a um, what I would probably, and most people would characterize as a fetish where it's, they have to have this object to get off. Like they have to, they zero in on that and that's all they care about. And that I'm sure because there's sexual deviance in every group, every single group, yeah. including devotees, including straight people, you know, whoever, it doesn't matter. There are going to be people out there who are fucked up and that's just how, and I don't want to say fucked up. I don't know anything about these people, but to me, that's not what I'm into. That's not what I yeah, do. They have a different kind of fetish. And listen, if, if there was a disabled person that was okay with being further disabled and being, you know, and mm -hmm. doing all the scary things that we hear about and that was their kink and there was some, there was some level of consent between them and their lover, go to town, be comfortable, yeah. enjoy yourself, get off. Have the best fucking time ever. 
me personally, I don't want to have any part of that. That's, that's yeah, me, no. It doesn't turn my crank, but I respect as long as there's listen, as long as there's consent, and you know, with disability, consent looks really different a lot of mm-hmm. the time. But as long as there's some level of consent, go to town. But I think it's important to remember that if you're disabling me for me, Andrew, mm-hmm. Andrew doesn't. Andrew's gonna say no. We're not doing that. But if you're like, dude, the fact that you're in a wheelchair with a big dick's hot, let's do things. Uh, great. I'm yeah. Down, like, I'm down for that. And it sounds like that's kind of on uh, the level that you're, the type of devotee is in that you're talking about. Right. And and it's not just me. It's it's the vast majority of people that I've come to meet in this community. Um, I've met zero of the people that are found to be these hugely disgusting predators. Um I've never met them or interacted with them because, quite frankly, they don't stick around in the community. We out them and we get them off of the board. Uh, Pretenders are one of them uh, or or people like that. People who, you know, we do we do have people on the board who are considered BIID, body image, something, uh, uh, something disorder. I can't remember now. I feel like such a disorder. Yes, yes. Body image identity disorder, maybe that's it. There's another eye. I don't think identity is the right eye, but I know I know what you're talking about exactly. Yeah, right. So that they 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 desire to be disabled. They don't feel that they're normal unless they are disabled. And sometimes they'll go through to great lengths to become disabled. They'll cut off their limbs. They'll, you know, these people exist. They 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 feel like they're in the wrong body, just like yeah. people who feel that they should be female when you know it, you know exterior you know how they present is male. Um, so that exists too. And that's not something I really understand or know, but I, I, I feel quite honestly, um, a great deal of compassion for people who have the wrong, who, whose outward identity doesn't match their inward one. And, um, even though I don't understand it personally, I, I, I'm not going to condemn it. But I, I just think it's, I would imagine that you Stacey, understand because, because if people were to discover that you were a devotee you would also have to go through the same kind of like shaming that somebody who realizes that they want to be disabled or they want to be transgender or they feel uncomfortable in their skin Mm -hmm. I I should I should I should cycle back and say not want to be transgender who feel they are transgender or feel they are in a different body you probably feel a a sense of kinship in that Mm -hmm in that you also have to come out as liking something that society has told you that's wrong. Right, right. So I I agree. I can imagine there's a big, that's why you feel so like, you may not understand it, but you can respect how that feels. Certainly I can. And, and, and we would never shun anybody like that in, in, you know, on this board, this community. Um, pretenders though, I have absolutely no, no sympathy for people who come onto the board and pretend to be disabled and they get off on the fact that people believe them and they make up all these lies about the disabilities that they have so that they can fly somebody across the country to meet them and have this relationship and then ghost them. Like, I think that's fucked up and wrong. And that does, that does happen. That's some crib fish stuff right there. Can we say crib fishing? Can can we we talk about that word? (laughs) Can we hashtag crib fish right now? (laughs) <laughs> the hashtag for this episode will be Tripfish. Um, just made that up on the spot. <laughs> the guys from Catfish can sue me, but um, 
but it's true. It's true. And it's quite, it's quite scary, you know, and, and as, a, as someone who isn't a person with a disability, but, um, you know, I, I work in a field where I have many people with disabilities around me, I would be frightened to death that these people would predate upon me. Um, if, you know, knowing about that devotees exist, that knowing that these pretenders exist and all of these things, I mean, it, it, you're already in a community that's considered vulnerable in, in many ways. Um, and there, why add to this, to this situation with, uh, by adding another layer, like, Oh, great. Like I can't just go out and want to fuck somebody and not have to worry about them just, you know, obsessing about me being in a wheelchair and not me being just a fucking person, yeah. um, who happens to have a disability, you know, it's like, God damn it. Can't life just be easy for me? Yeah, like, <laughs> you know? Now you might murder me because I just went out, wanted to go out for a drink with you. Like, why does it have to be so complicated? Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, right. so uh, what is, the, you talk a lot about the community of devotees and you've said that a couple times now and I'm curious, what is the community like? Because the way you describe it, it sounds like you guys are really tight knit and it sounds like there's a lot of uh, understanding between all of you. Yes. Um, that, this community, the fact that it exists is one of the reasons that I can feel comfortable in my own skin for the you know, at that time for the first time in my life, um, this was about four years ago, um, that I discovered this and, um, you know, we we support each other. I mean, it can be, I know it sounds probably trite, um, but it can be really difficult to, um, kind of discover this community at first year. At first you're just kind of shocked and, um, and then you kind of go through all the motions of guilt and depression again, because oftentimes you're faced with other people who are asking you questions that are really hurtful or saying things that are hurtful, um, yeah. whether or not they can mean you, to do so, you because you have a whole other side of this community that yeah. has dis either people with disabilities who are like, well, why the fuck are you that way? What, what's the deal? Um, and so you, you're often confronted directly about it and can be really difficult. Um, so we're there for each other in that sense. Um, and there's, a, this community has been around since I think the early two thousands or mid two thousands. And, um, you know, so there's people who've been on it on the board for a very, very long time. Who've right. seen a lot of shit, if you will. So they can kind of tell you, give you the ropes about, you know, cause when you first join this community, you kind of experience a bit of a high. You're like, Oh my God, I'm not alone. And, um, I have a whole community here that can support me and answer my questions. And maybe I'll meet somebody who I can fall in love with. And, you know, they're, they'll be okay with me, you know, being this person in this skin with this attraction. Um, and I don't have to explain myself and I don't have to feel guilty or hide. Um, you know, so you're, you're overwhelmed with these feelings and, um, there's a lot of precautionary things that you have to take into consideration when that happens as someone who, rushed right into a relationship, you know, uh, hopped into a car, drove across the country, completely changed my life. I, you know, I'd found this identity. I'm in love, you know, this is all great. And, you know, that, that high that you're on can come crashing down when the reality of your life starts to hit you that, you know, it's just like any other relationship. It's just like any other part of your life. There are going to be challenges that you're not ready for. And just because you are out and you're in this, you know, you have this identity that you can finally embrace. It doesn't, fix your life. It doesn't change anything in a lot of ways. So, um, in fact, it can add a lot of new challenges. So, um, it's nice to have that community there to support you and to kind of help you not go haywire and go astray despite your best efforts. Yeah. Because uh, I can imagine that going like the idea of 
of being sexual with somebody with a disability and loving them and being in a relationship. The idea sounds... Anybody's idea of what a relationship is is awesome in your head. And then the reality mm-hmm. is like, whoa, and the reality of disability is like, like CPAP machines and wheelchairs and doctors yeah. and medical <laughs> stuff and like attendance and transfers and condom casts and all the things that disability brings with it. And that's not really the sexy part. So as a devotee, oh, yeah. who, like how did you... Oh, can we talk about that? Oh, dear. Go right into it. Okay. So, so I, this is, it's quite a jump that I made. I had finished law school. I was, I had studied for the bar. I was going to study again because I didn't pass the first or second time. California bar is insane. Um, But, you know, I was, you know, I was, um, I just, felt like I, I needed to change in my life. Um, and then I discovered the site and all these changes started to happen. I met someone immediately and I fell in love and, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to move. And I did, I moved across the country and, um, I started to work immediately as his personal care attendant. He had, uh, cerebral palsy. So many thoughts. He, I have so many feelings about that whole, okay. Oh my so God. Many, okay. So we could take this just from that. Okay, finish your story, and then then I will <laughs> jump in with my thoughts about things. Yes. Yeah. So, and everybody on the site, by the way, told me, do not fucking do this. Don't become a PCA. Don't do, like, you, do you understand the line, not necessarily the professional line, whatever you're crossing. I mean, we, we, it's fully, obviously there's full consent. Obviously, you know, um, I was willing to do it. I was very happy to do it. It was, I got trained. I was like, I can do this. And I started doing it full time. It was me and another PCA of his, and we split an 80 hour work week. We did 40 hours a piece. And I was the nighttime PCA every single night, seven days a week. I was a PCA. Um, that's a lot of pressure to put on a relationship. You were the the disability after dark PCA, the one that I was, but I also was the weekend all day PCA. Um, so it was tough. It was physically hard. I don't have the best back. Uh, so I had some prior injuries on my shoulder that were starting to be exacerbated. Um, so I, and we, we, instead of using a lift, we actually deadlift. Uh, so I mean, it was really hard. Yeah. And he's super, um, he's, he's um, quite thin parties, and it was fine. Deadlifts but... are like not, I've been deadlifted and I'll tell you, given with certain people it's hot and I would love to have it done again, but it's yeah. also like, okay, if you drop me right now, I'm fucked. What are we going to do? <laughs> You're fucked. Right. And I mean, we, thankfully I never, well, nope, I never dropped him. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it was tough. It was tough and it put a lot of strain on the relationship, but I knew it was temporary. I knew that it was temporary. I was doing it so that I could study for the bar and work from home. And it, it, it afforded me a lot of um, time to do the things that I needed to do to move on with my professional life. So it was a good trade-off at the time. However, it put, did put a lot of strain in the relationship. But to be honest with you, that was not the death knell of the relationship. It was like all relationships. Um, you know, we had our issues. We had communication issues. We had, um, you know, just normal woes that you would have in a relationship that were not related to me being a PCA. That, um, however, I was living in the same home as him and his parents, which was very difficult. Um, his parents could be, you know, very lovely people, but when you're living in anybody else's space, it's, it's very challenging sometimes, um, sharing that space and not having your own life really. Um, so, I mean, there were a lot of complicated issues within it. Um, and eventually it didn't work out, but you know, 
I'll tell you what, I would never jump in and do that again. And when me and my current husband met, that was something that we discussed at great length. I said, I will never do that. I'm never going to do that. I'm, I'm glad that I know how to help you. And I, and I know how to jump in and be your PCA in a pinch. And I think that is very important. If you're going to be in a relationship with somebody who requires personal care, I think you absolutely need to know how to do it for yeah. safety reasons for, you know, and just cause it's sexy and fun. Like when you want to be alone and you don't want to have to deal with a PCA deal, you know, putting you to bed and like doing all the shit that you want to do and be intimate about, like yeah. you need to know how to do that stuff. Yeah. So and- I think that's yeah. where it's, it's totally, that, I mean, that's why when you said you were with PCA, I was, that's why I was like, oh my God, because like the fantasy of any disabled person in their lives ever is I'm going to meet the, I'm going to fall in love with my PCA and we're going to, we're going to, and I don't have to explain anything to them because they'll know already and then we'll have great mm-hmm. sex because they'll know. And what mm-hmm. what you're telling me is that that fantasy is just that a fantasy. <laughs> like the, well, I'll tell you this much though. Um, yes, in some ways it, it, it is a bit of a pipe dream because it's so complicated. If you're going from PCA to, uh, to, to, uh, girlfriend or boyfriend, um, you know, there is that a concern about crossing a professional line. If that is your line of work that you're doing as a profession, you know, that that's really a slippery slope. Um, and it can be, it could endanger your career if that's what's important to you. Um, and your, their, you know, your partner's living situation, if the government, you know, seriously, depending on, depending on where you're living, if the government, if the agency were to find out that you guys were in a relationship, they could say, well, you can't live here because there's all these things that can occur. But I I remember being 16, 17 and being like, I'm going to hire the good looking guy over there as my friend, as my PCA. And we're going to, he's going to realize that we're in love. And then because he's, <laughs> because he's working for me, we're going to fuck and it'll be great. And then like these are the things that you go through as a young disabled person because you, not young, but as a disabled person looking for companionship, PCA is the first place your brain, at least my brain went because I was like, well, they get my shit. I don't have to over explain myself to them. They'll get it. Right. And honestly, um, when you, when you live a lot of your life, uh, when touch is so clinical, um, the, the thing that you desire most is for it to not be anymore. And especially in those moments when it is, and you'd rather it not be, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a very, it's, it's very intimate and lovely. And, you know, I, I don't regret for a moment even though it sounds completely insane to do, to do something like that, completely just drop your whole life and pick up somewhere else and do this thing. And, you know, um, to be honest, yeah, but you know, it was, it was kind of the best decision I ever made. Um, it, it taught me so much about the life that I wanted to live and about my identity. When we broke up, Andrew, I was, you know, there was a point where I was like, maybe I'm not, maybe this isn't my identity. You know, it just tears you up because you think I, I can't handle this. That's what's going on. I just can't handle this. And, and, you know, I thought I was, um, stronger than anybody else because this is my, you know, identity and, and, and I'm, I'm attracted, uh, to people with disabilities. Therefore I'm above all of this, all the, all the drudgery that goes all along with having a disability. I'm, yeah. All the, all the, like, internalized ableism that I might be experiencing. Yeah. So did, yep. you, did you get a sense of like that you, and not to minimize what you're saying, but did you get a sense that it was like kind of a Florence Nightingale? Like I have to be, not that I'm going to, not that I'm going to come save him from his life, 
but that I have to be like a superhero above all this crap and I have to be better yep. than I can't be mm-hmm. ableist because I like disability. Right. I, exa- you're, you hit the nail right on the head. You think that this absolutely cannot touch me, even though everybody has internalized it. There's no, there's no way around it. Yeah. Um, and, and it, and it, it actually makes things quite harder in some ways because the guilt again, rears its ugly head. You're aware that it's happening. You're aware that you're having these feelings and that they're wrong. Um, and so it tears you up because you really think, no, I'm a superhuman. This makes me a superhuman now. I can be in any relationship with somebody with a disability, no matter how severe, because this attraction supersedes all of those, all of those problems and makes me rise above it. It doesn't. Um, you're still a human being. You're still, your body aches. Um, the stress of not knowing if the, you know, your, your relief is going to come in, you know, oh my God, do I have to face another six hours? You know, (laughs) I don't want to have to do this. Um, you know, when it becomes work and I'm sure in your life, you're quite aware of when your disability becomes work for you. Um, and not just for me, I'm also aware with a lover, with somebody that I'm attracted to, I know the amount of, I know what I'm asking them when I say, come be central with me. Like, even if it's a one night stand or if it's a hookup, I know what it is for me to need stuff. And so there's a big fear that I have that I am. And I've talked about this before, but there's a big fear of like being too much or being in the way or not wanting to ask for stuff. So I can only imagine when you're in a relationship with somebody and you've committed to them as both their worker and their lover, their love interest, like the double amount of like as the disabled person I can imagine sitting there being like, well, if I piss them off, will I be able to go to bed tonight? If I, you know, there's right. a, I can imagine, I can totally, totally connect with that fear of like, because when I was younger, you know, when you're, when you live with your family, they do most of your care. When I was a, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, my family would do my care. And I, there were moments where my kid brothers, and my sister would, you know, I would piss them off. And they'd be like, well, fuck you, Andrew, no, no, no. and they'd storm off, and then they'd go away, and I would need and something. you still need stuff. <laughs> yeah, and they would do it eventually, but like, no, I'm going to wait 10 minutes because I'm mad at you. So like, in a much different vein, kind of the same vein, I can imagine like if I piss my lover off, but they're also on the clock for me, like how do you navigate those two worlds? Yeah. How do you walk away when, and there were days like that absolutely where we would be arguing and I still have to wipe your ass. Like I still have to give you a shower. I still have to put you to bed. And I'm just like, I don't want to fucking be in the same room as you, but I'm on the clock. So shit, you know, and you got, and I got to do this joyfully. God damn it. I can't, you know? (laughs) And so it, it really becomes a very difficult situation because of exactly what you're saying. Um, and then you, you can feel when the other person is holding back from asking you to do stuff because they know that they're on thin ice uh, yeah, from yeah. an emotional standpoint. And, you, and you're, you're okay with it. You're like, well, fuck, you know. And it, it's, it's this weird dynamic where you're, you're walking on eggshells for each other. Um, and it's like any relationship, but except for there's this extra element now, is there not of need and dependence and codependence, a huge layer of dependence. And I think that's why so many people with disabilities are, you know, wary of relationships. When I enter into any kind of relationship with somebody that I'm even the most remotely bit attracted to, I'll say, case, I'm going to need this from you. Uh, is that okay? And I'm, uh, there'll be a big pause after I say, is that Okay. Because I'm waiting for them to tell me, no, actually, it's not okay. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a huge, like, what if I can't rely on them, what do I do? Um, so I can imagine in that instance for both you and for your partner, it's super stressful. I can only imagine what that's like. Right. And there's that heaviness of knowing that someone is dependent upon you, especially in my case, it was seven days a week. You, there is no day off. There is no vacation. There's no overtime. You know, it's not like a regular job. Someone is literally relying on you. And in this case, someone that you care about very deeply. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, you, you care about them so yeah, much, you're fucking heavy. pissed off. Yeah. You care about them so much, you're angry at them. So you, you fucking care, but you're like, fuck, I don't want to do this right now. Like, <laughs> Right. You, I don't even want to look at you, but I got to fucking take you to the toilet right now. And yeah. God damn it. Like, shit. So and you, <laughs> and you don't have the option to walk away. And so, like, did that shatter? When you first, when that first started happening to you, once you picked up and, like, changed your world, did that, like, shatter your, oh, my God, I'm a de- I thought I could do this, and now I realize... Um, you know, it was something that I knew was there. It, you, again, you feel so, you feel like you could be so above it because you go in knowing that's going to happen, but you've never dealt with it. Like really, you, you know about it on an intellectual level. You've talked about it with this community of people who've dealt with these very issues and you're like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, but I'm, I'm different. You still think I'm different. You you're such an idiot because you think, oh no, like I get that, but I'm going in with knowledge. I'm going in with awareness. I'm going in with patience and love and um, you know, this, uh, this wonderful and beautiful attraction that's now blossomed into this like completely unique and, and fulfilling love. So there's no way that this is going to touch me in the way that they say it is. Maybe it will, but I certainly can overcome any possible thing thrown my way. And you do. I mean, it's just like like any relationship where you love somebody. It just, it's, it can be a lot harder in moments like that. Um, and, uh, quite frankly, when we stopped, uh, when, when I eventually, you know, passed the bar and I stopped working for him, you know, when you, when you spend all this time swung in that side of the pendulum of being of dependence and working and all that, like I swung completely in the opposite direction. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with personal care. Like I, I really removed myself from it. And I think that that swing back really was difficult at first. It was quite a shock to the system in a lot of ways. I was like, okay, great. Now I'm off of the clock. I don't have to worry about that. We can just be a couple. We can just enjoy each other as As boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah. And, you know, I thought, great. But on the other hand, I found myself feeling a lot of distaste and, um, and, uh, resentment for being asked to do things when I wasn't working anymore. And it was a feeling that I felt so much guilt about. Um, so I know that that challenged us a lot too. Um, there's just a lot of things you don't think about, um, as you transition from one stage to the next. And so you have to be really careful about that. And I can imagine, and you're right. I can imagine though for your partner, when you say like you felt resentment from, you know, being asked to do stuff as the disabled person in the room. That's your biggest fear. Yeah. That's a huge fear. And also being on a date with somebody and knowing that I can ask you that is would be comfortable for me to know that if I really, really, really needed this, you would know what to do. So I think that it's important to look at it from the other side of it too. Is like the reason why I'm asking you is because I'm comfortable asking you. Typically, and I'm sure you've seen this with your partners, disabled people don't ask for stuff mm-hmm. when they're not comfortable with you. Even if they mm-hmm. fucking really need it from you, They'll sit there quietly and like not because it's weird. And suffer. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll suffer in silence and not ask you because I'd rather just suffer and deal with it later than embarrass the fuck. Right. Yeah. So 
to know, for me, when I know somebody that knows what to do, like, I'll go on friend dates with friends of mine, and we'll go to, like, McDonald's or Burger King or whatever it is, and they'll feed me a burger like it's nothing. And that is the most comfortable thing that I could, that's really intimate for me, because I know I don't have to be like, uh, uh, um, like, <laughs> I, uh, could you just, uh, like, if it's a first date with somebody, I don't eat, usually. What happens is I don't. We'll go to a, we'll go to a restaurant, and I'll sit there with nothing, and they'll be like, do you want to eat? And I'll be like, no, no, I'm good. I'm okay. I ate before. Don't worry about it. And they'll be like, what? What do you mean you ate before? What, like, why? It, it'll be because... We're going to dinner. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. And it'll be because I don't want them to see me eat. I don't want them to um, be uncomfortable. I don't want to make it weird. So I don't mm-hmm. say anything. But if I have prepped them and said, listen, I'll need, and I'll say something kind of like jokey, like, hey, I need you to shove a giant piece of meat in my mouth. Would you do that? Like, I'll make it funny so they'll laugh. Once I know they're okay and they do it, I am so much more comfortable because I know. So I understand why you would feel resentment, but I think to look at it from the other side is like, I'm not, me as a disabled person or, or your partners were probably not trying to make you feel resent. They were just... No, 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 no. I, I want to clarify something, though, because um, a lot of this, these feelings, they were almost, well, by and large, they were internal, and, and, and guilt would soon follow on the tail. And, and that whole cycle that I'm talking about and, and that whole relationship and everything that I learned from it has really informed so much of how I approach my marriage and, um, and, and how you process all of that. Because I am hyper aware that I'm not being ever asked to do something, um, you know, to be, you know, oh, I'm just, I'm going to be pain in the ass and I'm going to ask you for this and that. No, I never, I never think that it's, um, and I know it's a comfort thing and, and it's a, it's actually quite a beautiful um, uh, dynamic to have with someone when you, you have that trust. Yeah. And yeah. Um, there you can just look at you like I can just look at Kyle and be like, oh, you need water, you know, like just hand it over, right? Yeah. Um, it's 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 sort of this playful. It becomes a more playful thing, and and it takes all of that heaviness out of it when you've lived the extremes of it. You know how to function in a relationship in a much more healthy uh, way. And um, you don't have to deal with that poisonous uh, cyclical thinking. Um, and it was, it was, it could be very toxic. And I'm glad that again that that whole crazy experience happened because otherwise I don't know that I could move forward and and have a healthy relationship in the way that I do now. So, um, but yeah, I, you're absolutely right. I I constantly find myself placing my, you know, I have these thoughts and these reactions and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but wait, wait a minute. And then I place myself in, in another person's shoes. And I'm like, yeah, do you really think that this person wants to do X to you or make you feel X? No. Yeah. Um, they just want to be with you. And in fact, they're probably feeling exactly the same shit you are resenting the fact that they have to ask you for something, feeling guilty that they have to ask you for something. All all that shit. Yeah. I can tell you as a disabled person that, that those feelings are real and they're deep and they're strong and they stay there. Even if, even if you and your partner, even if the, and I have never been in a long-term relationship, but when I say partner, I mean, we had one one coffee and then they disappeared, or they sucked my dick and then they disappeared. But you know, even with that one person, even if you're comfortable for that second, all those feelings are still there. They're lingering, even if they do the thing for you and they get you the water or they help you with the coffee or they 
feed you the burger, you're still, uh, then you're like, oh, thank you so much, like, thank you, there's so much, like, you go from guilt to, like, immense gratitude, because, what if, because then it means that, like, they get it, and then you become attached way faster, because they've done a thing for you that no one else, that no one else could do. Yeah. I also wanted to add that I think that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of thought out there, at least with, when it comes to the perception of people who are devotees that, you know, doing those things, um, you know, in, being involved in activities around disability, whether it's personal care or whatever, that it's a constant sexual turn on and that these people can't handle themselves. And, you know, that they're, they're constantly the whole time thinking about jumping someone's bones. And that's really not it at all. You should um, be because I mean, we're all so it, well, and hot. And that's I not mean, to say that it doesn't start that way, by yeah. the way. You're just like, holy <laughs> shit, am I really doing this? Um, but, you know, it, it very much becomes normalized. And, and uh, you know, you don't really feel that, that high anymore. But that doesn't mean that you don't um, get something quite deeper from it. You know, it's like you said, it's that trust that you feel. And knowing that someone is so comfortable with you that it's not even a second thought to ask. Um, yeah. so that's, that's something I wish more people could experience. Yeah. Just the level of trust and the, the understanding that you're not constantly like, like turned on by this person, you're turned on, they, their disability is a factor in you being turned on, but it's not like you're 24 seven, like I want to get with you and you're, you and your chair so hot. Like, <laughs> And that's what I, that's the biggest myth that I think you've debunked with this conversation is just now is that you've said, like, I'm not leering after disabled people on the street all the time. <laughs> um, would you? Oh, I am. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, because we're all, um, we're all hot and yeah. beautiful, so you should be doing that. Um, uh, I want you to leer at me, do it. Um, <laughs> but so, so we've talked a lot about your experience. How did your current, like, how does your current partner feel about, you know, the, the, the arrangement you have? And can you speak to a little bit about how he feels knowing that he's connected to somebody who, who openly and proudly, it seems, is referring to themselves as a devotee? Well, um, we met through the same website, um, and he and I were good friends for uh, almost the entire time. He, he joined the board about a couple months after I did, and so we were immediately friends. We connected over music, as all uh, as 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 anyone who's close to me <laughs> eventually does. We bond over music, but um, so you know, we got to know each other really, really well. He knew everything about me. Um, you know, of course, he joined the site with the same bright-eyed sort of enthusiasm that a lot of guys do when they join. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe these, I can't believe this, this group of people exists. And I'm going to, you know, maybe I'm going to find the one just like everybody on the other side kind of goes into it feeling that even though it's not a dating site or anything like that, I think we all go in going, oh my God, this, this could really lead to some life changing shit. And it fucking did. But, um, in his case, you know, it was, uh, it was, it felt very freeing to know that, um, there's somebody who's genuinely interested in him, um, who's attracted to him physically. Um, I think for him, uh, you know, he has uh, spinal muscular atrophy. Uh, so, you know, the shape of his body and the look of his body has always been a really big issue for him. And for me, it was like, oh my God, you're the sexiest person I've ever seen. Like, I don't know what your problem is. And for him, having that total acceptance and somebody literally being attracted to him in the way that you know, someone might be attracted, um, you know, all the normies out there, maybe to some supermodel, like, 
you know, whoever. I don't even know that shit. I mean, but, like, um, that's, that's jarring as fuck, just let me tell you. To have somebody genuinely attracted to you, for a minute, as a disabled person, you stop and go, what? What, what the fuck is wrong with you? Have you looked yeah. at me? Like, <laughs> have you looked at my body? I look like, like, for me, I would say that I have, like, I don't, I have a lot of body dysmorphic stuff because we're taught that disability is not sexy. So when somebody comes to me and says, Andrew, I think you're fucking hot, I go, what? You yeah. Like, yeah, and that's, that's partially because everybody does, but also because I'm like, disability is not sexy. Like, no. So I'm sure when you were like, you're fucking the sexiest guy I've ever seen, I'm sure there was a part of him that was like, I like this, but I'm also scared of this. Like, what is this? Uh, I, you know, to be honest, when we first started dating, um, it, there was a lot of insecurity around it. Like this can't be real. Like, you know, this is, this is just a pipe dream. You know, um, I'm not so great. How can you possibly love me? How can you possibly be attracted to me? And it took a while to get over that. Um, and for me, it took a lot of just being reassuring, like, no, really, like, I'm not fucking with you. I would like to fuck you, but I'm not <laughs> fucking with you. Um, uh, you know, I just found the title of the podcast. I'm not fucking (laughs) with you, but I would like to fuck you. (laughs) Um, you know, I was like, you, you have to reassure someone in in a position like that, that, you know, no, these feelings are genuine. This isn't just a, this isn't just some weird fetish. Um, this isn't a phase. Uh, this is real. And, and it's not just about your body. It's everything else. Like I, just fucking love you. And, and that's a hard pill to swallow. Sometimes I think when you've spent your whole life being completely passed over, ignored, um, you know, he was lucky. He never really was teased or anything growing up, but, um, just simply being passed over, not even, not even a second thought given. Um, so, you know, it's a completely new experience and you kind of just, you're in disbelief and you, and you, when you kind of grow up having not such a great self-esteem, you can't just build that up all of a sudden because somebody tells you that you're hot. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that I constantly struggle with is that like, I'm a public figure now. I put myself out there and I, I, there's like, you've seen the photos that I have. I'm out there doing my thing. By the way, can we talk about that for a second? (laughs) Holy shit. Let's talk about that first. Let's talk about Go, Stacey, go. Let's talk about it for just a minute. So, um, oh. you know, I put myself out there and I do it. I do my I do my job and I'm, I think that showing my body and doing that is part of my work. But I don't often feel sexy. I don't often feel attractive because for years and years, just like your partner, I've been passed over and ignored and discarded, or I've been fucked by somebody, and they'll go away, and I'll never see them again, so, there's Yeah, novelty fuck. Yeah, there's not a sense of of permanence in this Mm -hmm. feeling of attraction, so when somebody, I can only imagine, and I haven't yet reached the point in my life where somebody's continually told me that, aside from maybe you, when we talk all the time, um, but when, you know, they do, when they do tell me that, I'm like, oh no, you're just gonna go away, so I'm, I'm, Curious, like, what has his own sense of um, sense of shame kind of lessened now in sense of, like... You know, I can tell you how it manifested most was a feeling of comfort um, and a feeling of normalcy, for lack of a better word. I hate using that word, honestly. But, I know, it's a um, word. And, 
I fucked it all up. Shit. Just in the podcast now. Um, no, but you know, going out in public and just feeling like I'm just out with my wife or my girlfriend, you know, like I can just be out and feel like, I don't know, like I'm just everybody else, you know? And, and, and I think for him, that's how it started, sort of started to set in. He's got this person, um, next to him, we're interacting. It's not just a bunch of people on the light rail staring at me. And now they're staring because they're like, who's this chick? And why are you guys making out? You know, like, um, you know, it was just this sort of normalization of, of an existence that was typically colored by people staring or people just acting strange or people talking in a high pitched voice or people patting him on the head or people trying to, you know, pray for him. Uh, you know, all of a sudden there's this buffer between him and everybody else. that's kind of being like, no, this, this is just, we're just a couple. We're just like you. Um, and I think that's when it started to set in like, oh yeah, this is like, my life is, feels like it should, if for lack of a better word or lack of a better phrase. No, I just had a question in my brain. I'm not sure how this will translate in the podcast, but as somebody who relates as a devotee, Mm -hmm. have you seen the film me before you? Yes. I no. Sorry. Excuse me. I have not seen it. I have heard about it, and I fucking hate it. That's the response this I wanted. Whole... That's yeah. Jesus so... fucking Christ! Can we please stop this bullshit about oh I've, I you can't handle this? I'm just gonna fucking off myself. That's what I want. You know what is what are we doing when we put these kinds of ideas out there in the world that we're telling people that it's better for people with disabilities to just, you know, they either have to be these really strong pillars or, you know, or they're just completely weak and they've got to just, you know, be off in a corner and die somewhere because how can you possibly live in this world and, you know, burden people around you? And I hate that fucking word too. I, I'm, I go crazy when I see the, the sort of, uh, just all the imagery out there surrounding disability. It, it's, it's enraging, whether it's angelification um, you know, fucking inspiration porn, not please die. I don't know if angelification's a word, but I'm gonna use it as a word from now on because it's awesome. <laughs> I'm not sure if it is. I don't know either. But it's, I just use it too. I don't know. Sorry, world. Literally the best word I've heard all day. So hashtag hashtag <laughs> cryptfish and hashtag angelification. Um I don't know if I have any other DBT questions. You've you answered all my questions. We had a really awesome conversation there's i mean there's so much more that i'll talk to you about once i hit the off button but this has been <laughs> a fantastic interview and i want to tell the world more about you can people get a hold of you in any way to talk to you about this can they absolutely absolutely they can um you can email me if you would like um i have would do you want to provide that through your site or I would can, you be like i can put the links on the site um okay we can do that because <laughs> um, it's kind of a silly spelling of an email and I'm going to be embarrassed with spelling it out for people yeah we'll put it I'll put it in the links but I think that you have been a, this has been a really fascinating interview because I don't think we often hear enough about we, I talk to people with disabilities about their experiences with relationships but we don't hear the other side often so hearing the other side I think is such a valuable piece because I think your voice as his partner and as somebody who's come out as a devotee, it's such an important part of it that we don't hear about. So I thank you so much for being so forthcoming and so willing to like, here's the truth, here's what it is. And I think it's such an important part of the disability narrative, and I'm glad that you could share it. 
Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for allowing me this opportunity to at least add another voice to the crowd. And, you know, I don't speak for everyone. I don't, I, I, I don't, um, I would never say that, but I hope that I've at least broadened people's understanding a little bit. Um, and I'm not trying to sell anybody on the idea. Honestly, I'm just me and, uh, and you know, it's okay. I, and I hope you guys learned something. <laughs> I certainly did. I had, I had a great time. You're such a fun interview. And for me, what I really loved about our, our talk together was that you dispelled some myths about devotees for me. Like it just seems now being able to put a face to that scary term that we've been taught as disabled people is like stranger danger. Um, to put a face to it as something that I know, it's a lot less scary and it's a lot more like it's just so much more human now and it's so much more the idea of dating somebody who's a devotee doesn't freak me out now. I'm kind of like, okay, well, you're at, I I know that with that with that group of people I can my disability can be my selling point and I can run with that like that's kind of a turn on for me so so I, I want to thank you for allowing me to put a, a face to this to this group of people and I think anybody who feels like they're devotees when wants to talk to me further about it especially some queer men who are devotees and want to do an interview like this I think it's great I'd love to talk to more of you um, it's awesome I'm Devoted to devotees is what we can do. <laughs> so, New hashtag. Yeah, so many hashtags for this episode. Um, Stacey, <laughs> thank you so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end our interview now officially, but we're going to talk a lot more off air. So, but we'd love to have you back sometime, and thanks so much for being on Disability After Dark. Please, I look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks so much. I hope that you really listened to that interview, and I hope that, like me, when I was talking with her, I, I really got a sense that the whole scary devoteeism thing kind of faded away, and I didn't really feel that anymore. I, I kind of felt that devotees are a misunderstood part of the community of people who could totally see disability in a different light, and talking with Stacy was such an important thing to do, and I'm so glad you all got to hear it, and I hope that she changed your mind a bit, and I hope that anybody who might have these feelings of devoteeism can listen to this interview and not feel so alone. Um, it was such a fantastic thing and I'm glad you all got to hear it. I also want to thank Stacy for her time and her willingness to share that those very personal stories with me. It's not very easy for people who are attracted to people with disabilities to come out and say so, especially when they admit and share with the world that they're a devotee, knowing the backlash they could receive from people with disabilities and the stigma they could be up against. So I'm really, really thankful that she shared her story. Stacy, if you're listening, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Copyright notice. The Disability After Dark podcast, including title, graphic, content, interview recordings, and title music, produced and recorded by Chris Ujiuchi, are property of Andrew Gerza. This podcast cannot be reproduced without permission from the owner. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability.